All right, good morning, everybody. Yeah, unfortunately, not that kind of cowboys we're going to be talking about here, here this morning. Well, we are continuing to pray for you and uh, just encourage you along as you're in this process of uh, getting connected to your next pastoral leader. And uh, you have a good process in place, and I think it's yielding uh, good fruit. So we are excited to see you come to this, this point in the process. So trust the process, ask good questions, get to know Steve and his family, and um, I'm, I'm sure uh, God will guide you all corporately as he has been guiding your leaders and the search committee up to this point. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. We're just about, well, we're halfway through this message. We will be halfway through the series, all right? So you can look for your watch and sort of count when we get to that point. Uh, Next week and October 13th, so I'll be coming back after Steve Benedict has been with you for a couple of Sundays to finish the uh, last part of this series, how to have a good fight, and the emphasis again is on good And this is not implying anything about your search process with Steve when he comes uh, to meet with you. This is just good advice from Ephesians 4 for families and couples and church families uh, as we seek to serve the Lord together. Today, as Andy said, we're going to talk about shepherds and cowboys. And in so doing, I want you to think about the models of leadership that uh, we seek to emulate here in, in uh, the church of Jesus Christ. So here are a couple of types of leaders to think about, shepherds and cowboys. First of all, let me have you think about what they have in common. Okay, both, both work with animals, shepherds and cowboys do. Uh, both have care and concern for the animals that they work with because, indeed, their, their livelihood is, is related to these, these animals. And both shepherds and cowboys, at some point in time, need to move the animals they're working with from one point to another. And we could probably list some more similarities. But this is, this is really where the similarities stop, right? Shepherds lead their flock. They're out in front, showing the way, calling the flock by name. And cowboys are in a different position. They're behind the flock, driving the herd, yelling, whipping, threatening, pushing the herd out in front. Now, don't you think it's true as Americans, we are attracted more to the cowboy type than to the shepherd type of leader. There's something that speaks to us about this rugged, individual, strong, forceful, John Wayne type of character, always has the answer, not afraid of a fight, never backs down in a challenge, always ready to bark orders. But you know, we can hide behind a person like that. Like, like kind of an emotional security blanket. Sadly, this kind of leader often fails to lead well. And that's why I think it's very interesting that here in First Peter, as we 
uh, come to chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Uh, Peter, writing to suffering Christians scattered all over the ancient world because of persecution. They're suffering, they're hurting, they're discouraged. And Peter is writing to these Christians, and in this text we're going to look at, he's going to exhort both the leaders and the followers of those leaders in the church of Jesus Christ as to how they are to live together under the submission and lordship of Jesus Christ, how leaders and follows relate to God and relate to one another. It's a beautiful, if you will, job description for both elders and members of churches. So let's listen in on the advice here together as we seek to understand better how a healthy church functions under the Lord's direction. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we come to his word. So, Father, we thank you that you have not left your church without guidance, without uh, clear and specific and practical instruction uh, as to how we lead and how we follow. And so we come to you with confidence that this word you use to build your people, to strengthen your church, and we trust you humbly, Lord, to do that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in verses 1 to 4, we're going to look at the advice to the elders. So you seven gentlemen sitting out here who are elders here at Bethany Grace Fellowship, I want you guys to listen very carefully and all the people around you listen carefully for them. And as a congregation, be thinking, this person we're praying for that God would bring here to lead this fellowship, that this is a bit of a job description uh, for this individual as well. Let's read verses 1 to 4. Peter writes, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Literally, shepherd the flock that God has entrusted. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Now, the, the central command in those four verses, as Peter, an elder himself, admonishes the elders that are reading this letter and all these scattered congregations, and he says, here it is, you are to be a shepherd, to submissively shepherd the flock of God as you are responding to God in humility and trust. Now, notice Peter starts out with a bit of a model here. He's, he's actually exemplifying what he's calling these elders to be. Instead of saying, I'm one of the original 12, you know, instead of pulling rank and, and throwing his authority around, he says, hey, guys, I'm an elder too, just like you, right? And he says, I'm a, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. What a good reminder for these believers who are going through intense suffering. 
Christ suffered also for us. And Peter says, I'm an eyewitness to that. And then instead, again, instead of pulling rank and barking in order, he says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you by my example, right? So Peter is modeling what it means to be a servant leader. And then he moves on to help us understand this, what this looks like in life as he uses the metaphor of shepherding. It's actually the word to shepherd, or sometimes it's translated pastor. Here in the New Living, it's translated care for the flock. But it's a beautiful word uh, that, um, uh, that brings up all of this imagery of the shepherd. If you remember back when we were going through John 10, uh, that's, this image would be something in the ancient world that was very familiar to them. In modern American life, maybe not as familiar, maybe in Lancaster County, a little closer to familiar than, uh, than, than in Los Angeles, for example. But uh, a shepherd, what's a shepherd do? Well, all of these tasks are part of shepherding or caring for a flock, leading them. And as Peter is showing us here, leading doesn't mean the big stick bossing people around. It means leading by example, feeding them, nourishing the flock, making sure they are, they are well provided for in terms of the, the needs of their souls and of their lives, protecting the flock. Now, those two terms there, feeding the, the flock and protecting the flock, it implies that elders, doesn't mean they have to have graduated from seminary, but it implies that they're well-learned enough in the doctrines of the gospel that they can teach it to others in a way that's helpful and meaningful for others, and also they can recognize a counterfeit when it's coming into town, and there are lots of counterfeits, lots of almost true gospels. You know, the egregious errors anybody can recognize, but those errors that sound awfully good because they have a lot of truth mixed in with it, and yet a deadly mix of anti-gospel poison mixed in there as well, only those initiated, well-trained, well-versed in the Scripture and the teaching the gospel can recognize this and and notice it when it's starting to, to come in and threaten the flock. And so the shepherd is one who is both feeding and protecting the flock. And then also shepherds are pursuing the wanderer. It's, uh, it's, it's too common in church life when a member who is disgruntled or angry and they want to leave and go somewhere else uh, in, in the United States, you know, there's so many churches. If you don't like the one you're at, just go find another one, right? And very often, uh, people just run on to the next place and uh, take their anger and their upsetness with them. And too often, the elders charged for caring for these people, you got a hurting person here. And that anger is often a, an indication that they're hurting. They're, there's something amiss in their life. And too often, a pastor or elders might say, well, good riddance, you know, your anger was not helpful here, instead of lovingly pursuing. That doesn't mean that every person we pursue can be restored to the fellowship of the congregation, but it describes the heart of the shepherd who is always ready to pursue. 
Where did Peter get this idea of the shepherd? How did he come upon that as a metaphor to talk about leaders in the church? Well, he got it from the Hebrew Bible, right? Uh, Ezekiel 34 uses this metaphor there. It's talking about the unfaithful shepherds, uh, shepherds who instead of caring for and feeding the flock and protecting them, the shepherds themselves are fleecing the flock for what they can get from the flock. Uh, Ezekiel talks about them eating the meat of the flock and clothing themselves with the wool of the flock and not looking out for the good of the flock, but rather just enriching themselves with what the flock can do for them. And the Lord in Ezekiel 34, through the prophet, says, the leaders of Israel are like these unfaithful shepherds in the metaphor. And so here's Peter giving us the positive side, not like the Ezekiel 34 shepherds, but like the shepherds after God's own heart that feed and lead and protect and pursue and care for the flock for their own blessing. Of course, John 10, Jesus himself is the example of the good shepherd who, at the other end of the spectrum of fleecing the flock, no, this shepherd lays down his life for the good of the flock. And I can't help but think Peter might be remembering back that scene on the beach of the Sea of Galilee after Christ is resurrected, Peter having denied the Lord three times publicly, three times publicly, Jesus gives him the opportunity to reaffirm his commitment to Christ. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. In other words, I'm still going to use you as my shepherd. And so here is Peter recommissioned as a shepherd elder, calling his fellow elders to enter into this wonderful privilege and opportunity. But then he goes into a description of how they are to shepherd. It's interesting there in verse 3, uh, verse 2, he uses the word for oversight or um, supervision. Uh, watch over the flock willingly, right? So elders are clearly invested with authority in God's church. They themselves submit to Christ. This is the Lord's church. The church submits to Christ. Christ the Son submits to the Heavenly Father in His mission. And then we are called to submit to the authorities that God places in our lives. But notice here how the elders are to to, uh, exercise this oversight. First, they're not to doing it, do it grudgingly, but instead willingly. So they're not to come to the task as, oh, no, is it my turn again? You know, I can't believe the lot fell on me. All right, someone's got to do it. You know, that kind of an attitude. No, instead, Peter is saying, don't, don't do this grudgingly. Recognize what a wonderful privilege this is. It's got its headaches, right? But what a wonderful privilege it is And do this willingly, not to serve the flock only. I'm doing this as unto the Lord, for the Lord. These are the Lord's people. They're not perfect, just like the elders aren't perfect. We are serving the Lord by serving one another. He then says, don't do this for what you'll get out of it, but eagerly. Now, for folks that are involved in vocational ministry, vocational eldering, 
Uh, th- there's, a, there's a financial aspect to this, right? Like, don't do this just because you think by doing this you can be personally enriched. <laughs> I would say with the, uh, with the exception of a few denominations, uh, this is probably a pretty poor career choice if you're trying to get enriched, right? Uh, this is not the career choice you want if you want to become wealthy in a material sense, right? But there's a, there's a lot more than money involved here. You know, sometimes people serve and agree to serve because of not financial rewards, but other types of non-monetary rewards. It can be the, you know, the sort of adrenaline rush that comes from being the person with the authority to lead, to make decisions. It can, it can be the notice or attention or affirmation by other people who see me serving well and are going to give me an attaboy on the back because of my service. Again, if that's what you're into this for, probably a poor choice because sometimes the attaboys are not the only things we hear as elders. No, not for what we get out of it, but eagerly. And then, and this is so powerful what Peter says here, don't lord it over the people assigned to you, but instead, instead he says, lead them by your own good example. So Peter has been modeling for us what this leadership looks like, and now he spells it out. This is not the big boss with the big stick, the cowboy in the back of the herd driving and yelling and whipping and punishing those who get out of line. No, this is the gentle shepherd in front of the flock leading by the example of his life, right? So as Paul said, you follow me as I'm following Christ. Look at the motivation then that Peter mentions. The motivation is not everyone will love me and lift me up and encourage me and say I'm doing a great job. The motivation is it's instead something otherworldly, right? Look at it here in the end of verse 1. Peter says, you know, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ, and he's implying, and I'm, I'm experiencing some of that now, as all of you are. But then he says, there's a day coming when I'm going to share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. He's looking forward to the end of time, the end of the age, when Jesus Christ returns, and everyone who has been living and suffering for Christ is going to be rewarded and honored. And elders, in a special sense, are anticipating this reward. Look down at verse 4. After calling him to these elders to shepherd well, he then reminds them there's a great shepherd coming. And that great shepherd, when he appears, is going to bring with him some crowns of never-ending glory and honor. Very interesting. This word here for crown is uh, we get our English word amaranth. It's a species of flower. Uh, Peter, I think, is kind of borrowing on Paul's analogy of the Olympic runner. They run for a wreath that fades after a short while, this uh, vine that would be placed on the head of the champion athlete. Peter says, the, the kind of honor, the kind of glory that you're going to share in, it's, an, it's a never-fading kind of glory and honor. And that, he says, is what motivates 
the elder who is serving in a way that pleases God. So guys, elders, here's, here's our job description. We are to humbly, submissively trust God in caring for God's people, even when it's not convenient, and all of it in light of the future reward that's coming. Now, this is a difficult task, brothers and sisters, to continue to serve in this kind of example, in this kind of model. And so absolutely, as a congregation, we should be praying for our elders, right? Faithfully, I love it that in your bulletin every week uh, that Andy helpfully acquainted us with this morning, reminded us of that, those seven pictures of those gentlemen that are tasked with that, with that responsibility here at Bethany Grace, that's a beautiful call to prayer right there. I'm going to look them right in the eye and pray for them each day, that God would help them to be this kind of leader. And that that God, as he leads you through the process, would bring this kind of man to be the first among equals, so to speak, as the teaching elder, the, the lead teaching elder. So let's be faithful in our prayers. Well, Peter goes on and talks to us common folks who are not elders about how we as members of the flock are to relate to God, to one another, and to our elders. So let's read verses 5 through 7. Now, you follow as I read it. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another for, here he quotes from the Old Testament, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So the, uh, the metaphor of shepherd is now being extended for us to think about ourselves as church members. If there's a shepherd leader, then there's a flock that he's leading. So just to make the point here, we are called to be sheep, not wild stallions, out of control, you know, powerful and beautiful, but causing all kind of chaos. I mean, just look at the sheep there. I mean, these guys need a leader, right? They, these, these people need help, right? That's us. That's us. That's us. Um, to me, the picture just says it all. It says it all, right? So we need a leader, and God loves us and cares for us so much that he's invested in his church shepherd leaders to bless us and care for us. And the beautiful thing is the elders were sheep too, right? We're sheep too in need of encouragement and leading and blessing from the Lord. Well, let's, let's look at this, um, this command there. Accept the authority of the elders. I don't know about you, but when I read that, something in me just kind of bristles a little bit. Accept the authority of the elders? Here's the problem. These guys aren't perfect. They are not perfect. They will make decisions sometimes that I don't personally appreciate. 
Maybe sometimes they make a decision that I think is flat wrong. And yet, the Lord, through Peter, is saying, and this is no power play. This is a, this is a loving shepherd leader leading by example, saying, God has invested authority in the leaders of his church. And we are to respond to God's authority by acknowledging their authority. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. But that when a decision is made that I can't go along with, the, the word here to submit, it's the word for submission. And I realize that word's got baggage with it. But it, it's the idea of this, of recognizing a granted authority given to an imperfect human for my good and blessing and our good and blessing as the people of God. And so even when it's hard, we step over and bring ourselves willingly under that authority. You say, yeah, but what if they're promoting false doctrine or there's immorality that they're hiding or something like that? Okay, that's a different story. (laughs) Because then they themselves have stepped outside of God's authority. But you know, the submission that's taught in the New Testament is always as unto the Lord. Children to parents, wife to husband, etc., employee to employer. It's as unto the Lord. When that authority tells me to do something that violates God's clear direction to me, then I can, if you will, biblically disobey that authority in a respectful way. Can't go along with that. And, but this is not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about those times when it's hard, I don't agree with the decision, but it's not unbiblical or immoral or in any way violating God's word, it's a personal preference kind of an issue, then I'm to step under that. Well, that's going to call for a certain kind of attitude, and that's what he talks about in verse 5 and 6, this attitude of humility. Look at it again. Uh, Verse 5, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, because God is in opposition to people who are proud and unsubmissive, and rather he gives grace to those who are humble. And look at verse 6. It's very, very helpful. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. In other words, the, the, the humility that is required for me as a follower to submit to an imperfect leader is, is a humility that reminds me that at the end of the day, God is over it all, right? God is sovereign, and ultimately, the leaders themselves are going to give account to God. And so it's not my task to straighten everybody out. <laughs> It's my task to trust God and His sovereign plan and His sovereign working in all things, even the difficult things in our lives. God is, He's not behind everything, but He's over it all, right? And then He says, finally, and we often, you know, this verse is is often on uh, uh, coffee mugs and a variety of products you can buy at your local Christian bookstore. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And we kind of read that in a generic sort of help with anxiety context. Actually, the anxiety here is when my leader is making a decision that I wouldn't make if I were in that position, I think it's going to lead us to problems, even though it's not unbiblical and immoral. So I'm called to submit 
trusting God with what makes me anxious related to this decision the leader is making. This is not generic anxiety. <laughs> this is anxiety over, ladies, if I could put it in, in your, uh, from your perspective, does my husband really understand what he's doing here? Is this the right decision? When you're following another person, there are lots of reasons for anxiety, right? Do my parents, young people, do they really know what's best for me in this decision that they're making? Do our church leaders understand in this decision they're making what's best for us? Well, those things can make us anxious, and Peter says, you're invited to take those anxieties, and he uses this phrase that's it's the same word that's used back in, uh, in the Gospels when they, the people are taking their coats and they put them across the, the, the little burrow, the donkey, for Jesus to sit on. It's the exact same word. So just take your cares and your worries about what your leaders are doing and lift them up and put them on the Lord, right? Put them on the Lord. I love that story about the guy who was plagued for years with anxiety, and uh, he ran into an old friend of his, and the old friend said, hey, uh, Bob, how you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Friend said, what about that anxiety? You, you know, you had so many uh, issues with anxiety the last time I saw, well, he said, I, uh, I, I hired a guy to do my worrying for me. And every week I just give him my worries on a list. And he, wow, he said, that's very interesting. How much you have to pay him? He said, I pay him $1,000 a week to worry for me. Well, Bob, I, I thought one of your problems was money, worries over money. He goes, yep. He says, how do you handle that? He goes, not my problem. That's his worry. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> you know what? We have someone who does our worrying for us, except he never worries. He's never anxious. He's working all things after the counsel of his own will. So the call of the day is for submissive trust in the God who rewards those who trust in him, both as leaders and as followers in a healthy congregation. So let's put it to practice this week. Let's pray together for this kind of leader, and let me make it plural, this kind of leaders. Take your bulletin with you this week. Get those seven faces in front of you. Pray for them by name. If you know specific things for each of those men, you can pray for God's blessing for them and their families. Let's do that. And particularly, you've got an opportunity these next two Sundays to hear potentially the man that God is bringing here to lead you. Let's pray together that uh, it will be clear if Steve Benedict is the kind of leader that this text is commending to you. And then let's pray together that we become this kind of church, uh, the kind of church member that would cause your elders to say, man, this is a blessing to lead people like this, you know. Uh, it's a joy and an honor to lead people like this who are so, so committed to following God's Word, submitting to the authority that God has placed in your life in a trusting way that knows God is over it all, and ultimately, to those who love and follow Him, there's great reward coming. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the instructions of your Word. They're practical, uh, very useful. Uh, 
And very often, they cut against the grain of our experience, of our culture, of our own heart feelings. And so, Lord, we do uh, continue to pray for Bethany Grace Fellowship. We pray for your blessing on this community of believers, and we specifically pray for guidance as Steve Benedict and his family are here over the next two Sundays. I pray, Lord, for um, just the, the clear leading of your Spirit so that no one will have any question that this is what you are doing or not. We, we pray, Lord, and we trust you to make that clear. We pray your blessing on the men who lead this fellowship. We pray your blessing on each and every person, believer, submitting to your authority as they trust and honor and follow the leadership of the the men that you've given here to lead. We ask you, Lord, that we might all truly, as Peter says, humble ourselves under your mighty hand, knowing that you are working all things together for good for your people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.